Hello and welcome to The Ball Bags, a weekly podcast breaking down all the news from the United Rugby Championship, the NFL, the English Premier League, the NBA and the wide world of sport. Hello and thanks very much for tuning in to this week's episode of The Ball Bags Podcast. Um, a little bit light, I think both Detash and Rocky had other arrangements, so it is just myself, the the migraine from Northeast Mead, and maybe the Maverick from the Midlands, it's the Chief, how are you pal? My good Sasquatch, how are you? Can't complain, can't complain, another, I suppose, wild weekend of sport again, there's a lot to look forward to, and there's even more coming in, the, I suppose, the months that proceeds. So look, I suppose it's it's very much business as normal. So it'll be player of the week from last weekend. Uh, why we thought the player of the week. Agree to disagree. It's obviously two pe- segments. We we'll probably tease them out a little bit longer, and then obviously just the fixtures to look forward to. But I don't think, given it's, it's just the fact that it's only the two of us, that anyone will be shocked maybe with our predictions or kind of favourites for the week. Um. So without much further ado. Uh, Chief, if you want to just talk us through fixtures, oh sorry, your player of the week. Player of the week. Um, although he was on the losing side, I thought Allison was outstanding for Liverpool. Undone by a nasty own goal at the end against Spurs, um, and it was a good game, um, which was my one to watch last weekend. Um, yeah, it was. He he just he was solid. He looks he looks to be back to himself. Yeah, I think look, I think there is it's it's unfortunate that game has ended how it's ended. It's unfortunate the incident that's gone on prior. Um the two red cards very unfortunate against Liverpool and yet still like I felt very sorry for Matt. Um but somehow Liverpool could have very easily come out of that fixture with a point uh, away from home down two men and look as much as it kills me to say it Spurs are playing fantastic football and there's a real belief in that squad with Big Ange so I think the narrative around maybe Liverpool's start of the season is wildly different if that ball goes behind for a corner um, but yeah I, th- I was impressed with Alisson too myself uh, amongst others uh, in the Liverpool performance maybe not so much Jota uh, but look, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll think park that one anyway. Van Dijk was probably another notable mention in, in, in that Liverpool squad. He, solid. Another player looks to be edging back to his best as well. Yeah. But yeah, no, just for me, Alisson, I thought, other than that own goal, I thought he had a, a very solid game and stood out for me. Fair. Um Mine probably may have been missed. I know we do the Irish NRL show on, on the network and stuff like that, but it look, fully cognizant, it's not the most popular sport. And I think anyone that is big in the rugby league in this country would probably prefer to watch the Super League, given the times it's on. But the NRL, I think, is a superior product. And the grand final was on on Sunday, just gone. It was on at half nine. I actually, it was my pick of the week last week, actually. Um, if anyone tuned in, it arguably was one of the best grand finals in the last 10-20 years largely because the referee 
swallowed his whistle. I think he blew it six times over the course of the final. Um, and you had loads of narratives. So the Pembroke Panthers were going for three in a row. And the Brisbane Broncos, which are kind of in, in the noughties and nineties, they were like Man United in the noughties and nineties. Um, they were kind of the dominant force. Um, tons of superstars. They've probably struggled in recent years too, but they've kind of on the back of a very young upset team they'd made to the grand final this year. And they were scheduled to upset uh, the Panthers who were going for three in a row. The Panthers halfback, Nathan Cleary, is basically cemented as a all-time great. Um, but this game is probably going to be the defining moment for him. Um, so effectively, they were down 24-8 with 18 minutes to go. His halfback partner goes off injured. And somehow he pretty much puts them on his back and try assist the match-winning try and three conversions, one of which was uh, from this, pretty much from the sideline. He also kicked the 40-20 as well. Union fans will now be familiar with the 50-22, which that comes from a 40-20 in rugby league. Um, but that really turned momentum and an 18-minute performance of anyone in, in a high-stakes fixture. I don't think I've ever seen it before. So that was mine, um, but I think I probably was the only person either listening to or recording this podcast that actually watched it. So Yeah, I I didn't watch it live. Um, I, I have seen the highlights of it all, and I'm actually raging I didn't watch it live. Uh, or or even had a chance to watch back on it, but I did. I'd seen his match win and try, and uh, like as you say, to to be the driving force to bring them from twenty eight down was it twenty twenty four eight, eight down. So like to you know, and it, it looked like and even what I think there was only eight minutes left or something when they took the took the lead. Some, yeah, or even even less, you know, it's, um, yeah. it's absolutely massive. Um, I might actually try and watch that game back just purely to watch him. Yeah, like because he, he didn't he didn't do a great deal in the first mm. half, um, and then his his halfback partner goes off, Jerome Louis, who probably wasn't fully fit going into it, but it's a, it's a, it's a crucial partnership, and he just seems to just elevate to that level that. The really elite teams, like you're looking at the Premiership, kind of say, um, on a weekly basis, and City just kind of, kind of seem to have that class to kind of go above and get the extra point and stuff like that. And Pembroke have kind of been that in the last few seasons, but regardless of how good they are, he is the guy. Like he's he's the one who makes them. Like he's been out injured and stuff, and they've just not looked quite the same. They've looked uh, mortal, but. With him, it's just different custard. Yeah, um, I think given the the scale of what was on the line in both games, I'd be I'd be happy enough to go with Nathan Cleary as the player of the week. Perfect. I it's an easy. Yeah, one. I, I, um, I can't argue with that. Um, like Allison was on a losing side. He like yes, he had a good game, but. Just given what you spoke about there, um, what he done, like the adversity he had to overcome with his halfback partner coming off and stuff. So, yeah, I'd happily agree with you there. Yeah, well, look, I'll, I'll take it. I know I won't get it as handy most weeks, so I'll take it when I get it. 
Um, and look, we'll move on to agree to disagree. So, think yourself to deputize this week, Chief. Yeah. Uh, so, um, big one, big topical or topic of conversation amongst football fans and especially United fans at the moment. Maybe the were United too quick to move on from David De Gea and bring in Andre Onana or does he need more time with the team to me I think there's yeah no go yeah on. no to me no, go on. there is an element of give him time but some of his mistakes you would crucify grassroots goalkeeper for making so that's 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 just yeah. part of my opinion of him few few elements to it for me um one obviously it's like it is very early days but when he was signed the top process by ten Hag and stuff like that would be like this is going to be our equivalent of Ederson and in many ways it seems as if United are trying to replicate what City are doing like you look at Highland who he looks a brilliant prospect took his two goals Fantastically, the other night. Um, but the problem with United and particularly Onana's style of goalkeeping, uh, bear in mind I'm an Arsenal fan and I kind of witnessed, not to the same extreme, but the first goal we definitely conceded against Lons, is it's fantastic having players, or goalkeepers that can play from the back. I get the concept. But in order for it to work, your defence has to be solid. And at United, the defence is not solid. If you look at Saha's goal, it's the only goal Onana's not really at fault for. And uh, Dalo, I think it is, is absolutely manhandled. Um, but he's manhandled, one, because Wilfred Zaha is, is quite a strong player, but it's more his positioning to begin with. He, he got off to the wrong positioning. Zaha is cute enough and strong enough that he just took complete advantage of it, but he gets manhandled. And the United defence is just, it's in a bit of disarray. So I think, while United fans were kind of quick to celebrate moving on from the Gea, ultimately it's not the problem. That's just the person who's conceding, kind of picking the ball yeah. out of the back of the net, but it's gone past 10 players yeah. prior. Um. No, how would I like? How would I fix it? I don't know. Um, like Onana, there's there's a few things like I'd suggest maybe character flaws or, um, like in the Arsenal game, United scored first, um, and then he makes a mistake, and then he tells everyone to, to settle down, like he didn't make the mistake, and then he concedes, like. A minute later, and as Arsenal fans, I was laughing at. Um, but it's just I, he's a bit of a loose cannon, and I don't know if he's he's kind of the type of player that you you carry if everyone else around you is structurally sound, and you have an absolute leader in in of a fullback basically or centre back centre back rather, uh, who's telling him what to do. Like I think Onana would be fine if he had a Van Dijk esque character telling them what to do um, while also having that ability to play the ball out from the back um, it's 
his mistakes though are coming from confusion and a lack of kind of conf- cohesion as to how they want to play I think um, he's obviously the focal point for the error and on the 15 second clip you see on Twitter or you see on TikTok or it's it's hard to argue otherwise yeah. the, but the tidbits are what everyone sees but if you were to actually study him I suppose his movement for the the other 89 minutes if he's been quite good you know it's possibly he like he possibly is there but I, I think you, you make a very good point about the needing a, a Van Dyke-esque or like when Vidic was there with Van der Sar and you know like it, those type of just natural leaders in at centre-back and stuff that's probably what United had hoped in signing Varane, but one, he's been injured a lot, and two, I just don't know if he's that vocal of a player. And I could be wrong, but yeah, I, he seems to be. I think just too injury prone. Probably, probably got him too late in his career. Um, do you know, like I, it's probably a case of United. Real Madrid wanted to sell him, not that United bought him. And United were the the ones to part with the cash that Madrid wanted and stuff. A bit like I think Casemiro, he's he's kind of little bit been carrying the team with some of his goals and assists and stuff. But again, another player that Madrid were done with, they they didn't, you know. And like I think that's an issue with United and the yeah Onana. Is getting all the flack, but there's much, much bigger problems there. Yeah. Um I suppose on a on a on a side note, and bearing in mind as a United fan, you'd obviously watch United play a lot more than I do. But like from where I sit, it doesn't look like Ten Hag is gonna get much more time. But I also don't know if I can justify giving him more time as a new, like as a neutral say in the situation. I have to look at it critically. Like, what would be your thoughts? Yeah, um, like last season was obviously a, an improvement, but this year, like they've gone out to get Highland, who, as you said, they're trying to and bringing in Onana. It seems to be they're trying to copy the Man City blueprint, but that won't work if you don't have all the pieces and it's almost as if he doesn't have an identity or a style that he's comfortable with. Now I know there's there's injuries and stuff, but like when you look at the value of their squad and compare it to other teams that they've lost to in the Premier League and even Galatasaray the other night, it's injuries are only an excuse. It, the players should be able to step up you know, obviously they're not going to be the exact same level like like for like replacements. But if you have a system and everyone trusts the system and trusts each other, then it should work. But they're just yeah. I think he he very much possibly could be on the chopping block if another couple of results go bad. Like I think Brentford at the weekend, you lose that, and then. Next week, I think, is the international break. So, 
he'll have a reprieve. Maybe maybe it's November. Uh, no, it's next week. I think it's Friday the thirteenth. Is I think the Nations League or the qualifiers back on. So he might have a reprieve with that, but needs to start. Results need to start coming because they're. He, he may have a reprieve, but for how long? The Friday of an international window is uh, a key sacking time. Yeah. Uh, in club football, um, and look, he's not. He's kind of the latest in a long string of United managers who maybe optimism was huge when they came in, and it hasn't followed suit. Like, could you? pinpoint what a problem um like is is the problem just that united have potentially got managers who just weren't up to the lofty standards of the fans or is there a wider issue at the club and the manager is scapegoat effectively yeah i think manager will always be a scapegoat in like at, at United in particular I know every club it's like it's a results business at the end of the day but for United they've they don't, they don't know how they're playing so if they're not getting results and they don't know how they're playing everyone's just going to turn on, on and the manager is first in line for it but there's so many problems there like the stadium is literally falling apart and no money being invested in it like low tons of money like outrageous money being invested in bad players well, not not necessarily bad players but too high a value being placed on on the players like they're playing they're playing the united tax to to bring mm. average enough players in and it's just the negotiation skills just aren't there in, in the transfer market. That Like when David Gill was there and Fergie, but I think they had the club had had so much success with Fergie that I don't think anyone, like Pep would probably struggle with that squad. Do you know? Like, I don't know who you could actually bring in. So, like, you could, you could pull the plug on Ten Hag, but then, who do you bring in? Who's 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 even available out there that's worth bringing in? Yeah. So I don't know. It's. Uh, uh I I would say that like, you brought up the Bears last week. You brought up United this yeah. week. Like. This this podcast may not be the best for your. It's getting getting so. a bit miserable. The only the only thing yeah. the only thing keeping me going. Is rugby. <laughs> yeah. Um. The one thing I actually did want to bring up, actually, just the, on your point, just uh, the buzzer is gone, but before I forget about it, is technically, I'm just throwing it out there. Not that anyone's listening, but the Gaia still remains unsigned. So, is it is it worth a conversation at least? Yeah, I like. I'm surprised he he wasn't picked up by someone, like even even the Saudi right. League or something, like because. Same. There was there was talk that there w- was an agreement to take a reduced wage for him to stay on, and then last minute deal was pulled by the club, 
mm. you know, he was happy to take the pay cut and stay on. And then the the pull the plug on it, maybe because the finances aren't there and the may or may not fall foul of this financial fair play over the next couple of seasons. And I I I think well someone had, had this so uh, as the greatest chess move of all time. So obviously Onana came from Inter Milan and Pep had listed him as the best player in the Champions League final. See seeing that on Twitter today as like this is And then you know you went out and signed abs- absolute so, chess move <laughs> by and the one thing you would say about United is, like, potentially, they, they similar to the Ronaldo signing, they might have signed him out of fear that City would get him. And maybe they kind of convinced themselves that, no, this fellow was... Good enough. Too good. Yeah. And David De Gea wouldn't sit as a backup keeper, so they were happy enough to move off him. Um, but look... Uh, we digress. But look, I'll try and uplift the mood at this stage, Chief. Uh, so as was my disagree, my agree, agree, disagree, kind of comes back from on the onset, I think one of the first talking points, I think it might have been myself, was with kind of a few brand moves, the TikTok World Cup, like definitely sentiment within the group was that it was the opportunity for union to be mass delivered to the masses and i suppose we are final week of the group stages so we're going to lose about 60 percent of the sides over the course of the weekend start with 20 we'll have eight left um do we feel like to date the rugby world cup has delivered on much of that pre-tournament optimism and if it hasn't is there still cause for optimism? I think it has delivered. Hasn't hundred percent delivered on the op, on the pre tournament optimism, but I do think it has delivered massively. Where they've shot themselves in the foot is allowing the many content creators out there to share clips. And they're copywriting and removing any highlights. If it's not through official channels, and if you're not following it, whereas, but I think that that's a that's a different point. That's the the content side of it. But I think game wise, it has delivered. Like Portugal against Australia last week. Don't know if you've seen any of the highlights, but it was like Portugal. I know it it was a. It looks like a big loss in the end, but Portugal physically like dominated Australia in the first half. And, you know, I think if one thing that's come from this, and it was a point I probably made when we were talking about it the last time, was more support for the tier, the supposed tier two nations. They need more game time against tier one opposition to be able to develop. And I think... I don't think it's that simple. And I'll tell you why. Because uh, I think it might have been Murray Kinsler. I can't remember who it was, but someone had up after the New Zealand Italy game that this ultimately is why rugby just can't, is unlikely to close the gap 
the fact that I think Italy are, I can't remember where officially they are in the rankings, but in association football, if any team in the top 15 world rankings plays and it's an absolute spanking for the sides, it's kind of a bad look. Mm. Like, and we're very comfortable in union with sides like Italy who have been given the opportunities to play against more, t- like they are a tier one nation technically, but when they came into the Six Nations, they were probably classed in tier two back in 2000. So they've had 23 years of regular, consistent involvement with tier one nations, both internationally and domestically. We just haven't seen this big jump from them yet. Um, I, I'd be, be fairly confident in saying that I don't think I will ever see Italy win a Six Nations Championship in my lifetime. I'm comfortable saying that. And as a 32-year-old male uh, with touch wood, a fair bit of time left, that's a remarkable thing to be able to say. In a six-team tournament, you cannot see one of the teams winning it, ever. Um, so it hasn't. Now, the flip side to that is we look at how Fiji have developed and we look at what they've done so far in the World Cup. There's some great stories. Players seem really likeable. They were looking this way in the lead into the World Cup, obviously with the victory over England. They've obviously, inverted commas, shocked uh, Australia. Very unlucky against Wales. Hopefully they qualify for the quarterfinals now, and I think there's still a chance they could miss out, but hopefully they qualify. Um, and then you've seen big improvements in Portugal. Chile uh, really impressed me throughout the World Cup. Uh, Uruguay have impressed me. And... Uh, but like the likes of like Namibia haven't improved and they're in a World Cup annually yeah so I don't think it's as simple as people always say oh they just need more opportunities against tier 1 I don't think it's that simple Uruguay for as an example is a country that's often in and out of World Cups they're not too frequently visitors in the World Cup they've invested in a school system akin to what we have in South Dublin which we looked into Make no bones about it. We looked into it. It's not union-driven. So I think it's kind of showing the pathway is a focus on school systems. And that might need to be world rugby-driven as opposed to leaving up to unions because they just mightn't have the funding. Yeah, fair point. Um, I think the school system, like... It's not just the fee-paying schools that are developing players now. You can, like the CCROs in Ireland, doing massive work with your local national schools and your secondary schools. And I think, like, there's you're starting to see one or two more Sean O'Brien's and Tyke Furlong's just come out of the, the woodwork from that system rather than, and, and the club system, of course rather than just straight from school into sub-academies and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I think it's probably a really good point about developing more the schools. Bit of help from bit um, of help from World Rugby there. The only, just going back on your point about Italy, even to see them maybe not compete for a championship, but like to be, they, they need to second. be consistently like, third fourth for a, a while and not be fifth sixth as they have been for 23 years eternity yeah do you know like it's 
Now, I know the, their youth system is pretty good. I think they get a bit of a fall-off, though. Like, they, they perform pretty well at most under-20 championships, uh, world championships. Maybe not so much in the Six Nations, but they always seem to crank it up for the world championships. Uh, but they don't seem to then transfer all the talent into the senior setup. Maybe maybe it's coming down the line. I'm not sure. But certainly that result. Yeah, I I I don't I don't know like and especially you look at like the club infrastructure. And I know it's a few weeks away from starting yet, but if you look at the URC, like Bennett can give it the size on their day. Yeah. Fair enough. But they've two professional clubs. One of them is mildly competitive. The other one is a whipping boy. Yeah. Like Zebra are a whipping boy, make no bones. But I know some of their talent goes like, uh, what's his name? The Capucho. I know he's playing in Toulon. Toulon? Yeah. Um, so I know Toulouse. Some, T- uh, Toulouse or Toulon? It's, Toulouse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know some of the better players are always going to end up in the top 14. But those players are few and far between. Like from what I can recall, um, Capucho, I met, obviously Paris had played his career in France. But he's he was the world's best number eight yeah. um in a vacuum like so that was always gonna happen. But if you're a nation that's com- that's only producing two clubs, those clubs should be near the top end of the the ladder as such. Like you look at say the Scottish clubs, one of them is always kind of pushing. Yeah. Maybe they're not the strength of a Leinster or even the introduction of the Stormers and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I just don't see the... I think some nations have taken massive strides forward. You'd like to see it again. At the, you'd like to see a further improvement at the next World Cup. But there has to come a point where we look at certain nations and we go, we've given you every opportunity. You haven't... Um, delivered. Delivered. And you... You look at the two nations that have arguably benefited the most from coming from tier two status, inverted commas, like Argentina is the other one. Yeah. And they've underperformed at this World Cup. Yeah, they've they've so. really probably one of the biggest letdowns of this World Cup. Them and Australia. Them and I them Australia and I class Samoa in that as well. Samoa like again, most yellow cards at the World Cup. Like it just it beggars belief. We've we there's certain frustrations I've had with this World Cup. Now look, I'm getting very negative on this. I think the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals are going to be exceptional. Yeah. I think it's really. I think New Zealand. You said it to me at the time. You were like New Zealand have just fired a warning shot with the hammer of Italy. Because everyone's written yeah. them off, and I I don't ever ever recall being in a World Cup and New Zealand weren't the top two favourites. Yeah, like it's 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 a strange time we're in that New Zealand are, you know, like their class is probably fourth favourite. And pre, pre-World mm-hmm. pre Cup, after the loss to France, there were probably other people were looking at other teams to be that fourth favourite. They're like, mm. there was a weird optimism that certainly amongst Italy that they could have overturned New Zealand in that game but we know how that went and like that that mm-hmm. has set them back probably 20 years 
you know, mm. it potentially set them back. Um, like that's that type of result. I think I think we discussed it. Like um, the France and Ireland don't do that to Italy. Now I could I could be wrong. France could do that to, tomorrow night. Mm. Um, but that's because Italy's head is down now. You know, like the they have to stop France scoring a bonus point and for them to score a four try bonus point to have any hope I just don't think it happens and if they go chasing the game France prop could could do the result but like in Six Nations you know Ireland no other Six Nations team does that to Italy what New Zealand done and that's where mm. New Zealand are scary it's like when they turn it on they're, they're, they're on but I yeah I'm really looking forward to this weekend the group stage is finishing up. We'll find out who's who's in the in the quarters, and I think there's there's some cracking ties there to be had in the quarters, and you know semi finals yeah. coming down the line then as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Yeah. Look, I just hope it's it lives up to billing. Yeah. And you know potentially. Oh well, I hope we get a shock in the quarterfinals. I think to really draw eyes in. Yeah, Fiji, Fiji to to make the quarters and then to make the semi final. Something like that would be, uh, mm. would be massive. Okay, I almost think, I almost think Fiji's victory over Australia was overlooked. I think I said this before, but it, like it probably should be viewed on a similar setting as Japan's victory over South Africa. Maybe not quite as high but it's 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 definitely not been rated highly enough for what it's what it means and how big it is for the game. Yeah, it's it kinda flew under the radar a little bit on its significance. Mm. Was it sixty sixty nine mm. years? Fifty nine years? Something like that? It's yeah, sixty something Yeah, years I think anyway. sixty nine um, years or something. It's like phenomenal to you know, like their first victory over Australia in that time and the thing back then is at that period of time Fiji victories against tier one nations they weren't called tier one nations back yeah. then were a lot more common yeah so it's it kind of was it wasn't a big deal yeah people people happened, so. were playing catch up to Fiji rugby probably at that mm. time and mm. yeah um, so yeah um, I think just I suppose one negative I think something about Namibia They've completed their full pool stages two weeks ahead of Ireland, I think. Mm. You know, but in the lead up to the World Cup, I think they'd only eight games in a two year period up before the World Cup. I I think I've seen something like that, that they'd only played eight games and most of those are against South African club sites. You know, they're not they're they're not getting but then again, they've been at the table for a long time in terms of World Cups. There's an element too of um, this is gonna rub a lot of people up the wrong way, but I think if you're from a smaller nation, a tier two nation, you probably need to start approaching uh, like a, a mining out of your best players, um, similar to association football. Um, that you need to find pathways to get your best underage players in 
a top domestic league. Be that Super Rugby now, which is fallen from grace a fair bit. Um, it's still a lot higher than those players we playing. Um, be that the Gallagher Premiership, uh, which is on its knees fiscally. So cheap players um, are a win-win. Yeah. Um, if, if I was in, in charge with Namibia, I would be, that's what I would do. And I'd be, my job would be, if we can't get the school system, we can't get the international fixtures, well, let's ensure that our players on a weekly basis are playing at the highest possible domestic level. And let's bring them back from that. Because that's what the South Sea Island nations have done to kind of bridge the gap. Yeah, the Fijian Drua team in the Super Rugby. Even and historically, um, there was always South Sea Islanders all over the place. And that's why, do you remember the kind of, I can't remember, I think, what was the team that was kind of like the Lions equivalent of Pacific Island nations? Was it the Pacific Islanders? Oh, the, the, the word the Pacific, Pacific Islanders, it was... For for mm. that international teams played, yeah. So it was Samoa, Fiji, and uh, Tonga combined. They were, they were the Pacific Islanders and played against maybe Ireland on their way down to tour against New Zealand or Australia. I used to come over in the autumn, I think. Yeah. And they used to be... Look, they used to be the filler test, to be fair. Mm. But that, was, that came about basically because they had so many players in Europe. So maybe that's a, a scope for someone like Namibia. Um, for the South American teams, you're probably looking at, you, you probably have limited options there, but I think France um, and maybe the, is the are the Pumas still in the? No, Pumas, Pumas uh, that team is gone. Um, but they were really competitive. Like they got to, their, their mm. first year, I think, did they get to the final against the Crusaders or something? Or maybe the semi-finals, yeah. I think. Like the big, but basically, that team was the Argentinian national team, or or the bones mm. of it. Like it was maybe twelve of the starting fifteen were playing for the Jaguars that time, or yeah, the national teams, the Pumas, and it was the Jaguars. Was I think it was mm. the mm. the club side, but yeah, um, with everything that went on with Super Rugby. They they went on the the Japanese franchise that was there as well. Obviously went, but mm, Sunwolves. Sunwolves, yeah. Um, may possibly another avenue would be MLR. You know, if for the South American teams, like maybe to branch yeah. into that. Um, but I think they will be driving up the standard of the MLR. Yeah, which is where I see an issue for development. Now look. This is another element too, is that like we haven't touched upon and look the time I went a while ago, so I don't want to spend too much more long but two long term stays, speaking of the Americas and the Ruby World Cups, neither of them are there. Yeah. USA, Canada are not there. Like it's it's interesting how things are going. Yeah. Because the MLR was viewed as a huge development piece for North America. And yet the two the two teams that have been at pretty much every World Cup are not there at all. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, but look, we won't solve it all tonight. No, uh, definitely and not. We need we need to have a positive uh, point. I think next week, one of us. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, it was just to to round out the show. Just your this week's must see TV. What's yours, Chief? My must see TV is 
the final group game for Ireland against Scotland, Saturday night, eight o'clock. On, you can watch it on Virgin Media or ITV. Probably watch it on Fair. mute. <laughs> if you watch it on Virgin Media. Yeah. Um. But no, this I, I think this could be a cracking game if if Scotland. Mm play to the level that they can they really could test Ireland and but I'd still be quietly confident that Ireland should win by 12 points look it's a, it's a legitimate knockout game regardless yeah. I know it's in the knockout stages but the, the group stages oh, yeah, no, it is it's, a it's, knockout game already it is a knockout game because Ireland know they need something to progress and yeah. Scotland know what they need to stop Ireland progressing and take that place themselves. So, yeah, I think it's be fireworks for this one. Mm. Mm. Uh, and we're two sides are very familiar with each other as well. Um, and I suppose my must watch must see TV look probably two fairly obvious ones this week, but it is Arsenal Man City uh, Sky Sports main event. 4.30 on Sunday. Uh, even the most optimistic of Arsenal fans probably can see where this one is going yet again. But it is uh, last two last season's two title challengers. So it should be worth a watch. Um, we got robbed of a proper Super Sunday last weekend for reasons I won't point out this week. <laughs> but some stage this season I will come for Sky Sports. Um, but yeah. Uh, it's definitely worth a watch. Yep. Perfect. Well, look, that's all from me. That's all from me. Thank you, and good night.